0: May God bless the reading of this word. Amen. Thank you for reading that this morning, Levi. I did not put together that Levi was going to be reading about Jesus coming to eat at Levi's table, <laughs> and because of the snowstorm and all of that, it, uh, it kind of shifted itself to work that way. I was going to tell Levi, but he's going to help with the kids, that uh, I think Jesus would be happy to eat at his table anytime, and so... Um, This morning, we're continuing a series that we began a couple of weeks ago, uh, True Religion, Life in the Shape of Jesus. Uh, We're talking about the way that Jesus interacts with different groups of people throughout Scripture. As we read through the Gospels, Jesus interacts with a lot of different people. He oftentimes interacts with people on the fringes of society, although that's not the only group of people that he interacts with. Uh, Last week, we talked about him interacting with women and children, which at the time, Uh, This is hard for us to wrap our minds around, but at the time, it was kind of scandalous for a Jewish rabbi to pay so much attention to children and to women was a little bit scandalous. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about something that I think all of us are probably a little bit more aware of. Jesus spent time with sinners and tax collectors, and we all recognize what a scandal this is because the gospel authors let us know that other people felt scandalized by Jesus' behavior. That's what Levi read to us this morning. Jesus goes to the home of Levi, Matthew, a tax collector, and he sits at the table, and the people that are around him are the unsavory sort, as far as the Jewish leaders of the time were concerned. Those terms, sinner and tax collector, you know, we, we don't often associate those two with one another, right? Uh, in, in our culture... To be a tax collector is not necessarily to be a sinner. Now, you may not be very popular, but no one's going to say that you're a sinner because you're a tax collector. But in the mind of a Jewish first-century person, these two groups of people were virtually identical. A sinner might be shorthand for one of two things. The first is this, that if, if you were a sinner, you were a member of the Jewish community who had turned your back on the community and on the ways in which they were called to be distinct from the communities around them. You had given up maybe eating kosher. Uh, There's a possibility that you no longer observed the feast days, even culturally observing the feast days. It's possible that you stopped wearing the appropriate customary clothes for a Jewish person. And so you were as good as a Gentile, a sinner, someone who was no longer a part of the community. And to be a tax collector might actually be even worse because you were someone who was not just turning your back on the practices of Judaism, but you were turning your back on your own people by willingly taking money on behalf of the Roman government. These were not well-liked individuals in society in Jesus' own time. Now, that, that other possibility of sinner, we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Uh, but I, I want you to have in your mind that these are the people that don't have a, a table to dine at, so to speak, in the community. An upstanding Jew would never invite a sinner or tax collector to dine at their table. To do so would risk not just the possibility of, you know shame on the part of the, the community that you're a part of but possibly even make yourself ceremonially unclean. If these sinners have been eating things they're not supposed to be eating, who's to say they don't come into your house and defile your table? You wouldn't invite them to your dinner table and you certainly wouldn't go and eat at theirs. But Jesus does. And this is horrifying to the Pharisees. And so I want you to think about this. Levi made him a great feast in his house. Luke is going to build his gospel around several table scenes, and and it had not occurred to me how frequently these table scenes appear in his gospel. Uh, When you read the gospel of John, John is building around specific feast days, and there's feasts that happen, and, and John places the activity of the life of Christ in the context of feasts. I think Luke is doing something very similar by having these sections in his gospel line up with these moments where Jesus is sitting at a table with people. And the first one that we encounter is this, Jesus dining at Levi's table. And it begins by telling us that Levi was so excited to have Jesus come and dine at his table that he prepared for him a great feast. This was not you know, our, our, uh, no offense to the, the young adults, this was not our Friday night uh, young adult small group where Lorenda and I are like, what are we gonna feed them? Well, I don't know, uh, mac and cheese tonight, or, you know, whatever it happens to be. This was, I have a royal dignitary, essentially, coming into my home, I am going to overwhelm him with hospitality. It's not just your family dinner, okay? This is a feast, a great banquet, And Levi has invited all of his friends to be there with Jesus. And Jesus, as opposed to to, some others who might receive an invitation from Levi, actually shows up. Jesus takes advantage of the hospitality that Levi offers. And the only people that Levi has association with are people like Levi. On the fringes, of Jewish society, the outcasts and pariahs. Now, it's strange for us to think that someone who is a tax collector, who's probably fairly wealthy because he's probably been doing some underhanded stuff, that he might be considered on the outskirts of society, right? In our society, if you have money, you don't really feel like you're on the outskirts of anything. You feel like you're right in the middle. But when is the last time that Levi had a meal with someone who was a part of the in crowd. Someone who knew his story, where he came from as a Jewish man. Levi might have given up his Jewishness, his practice of the Jewish religion, in pursuit of his position as a tax collector. But you know, there's something to be said for the idea of coming home. To feeling the traditions and and experiencing uh, the the community that you haven't been a part of for a long time. A lot of people who leave the church, for example, the thing that they miss the most is not necessarily the order of service. Nobody's waking up on Sunday morning saying, man, I just wish I could sing three songs, have a scripture reading, hear someone preach at me for 30 minutes, hear another couple of songs, take communion, and then wander out of a building on Sunday morning. That's not what people usually miss when they're no longer involved in the church. What they miss is community. Now, I'm not suggesting the other stuff is not good and important. We're here doing that this morning, and I think it's a good thing. But what Levi has missed is community. And Jesus knows the community that Levi has missed. And he shows up and brings it with him because the disciples show up with him. They come to the feast as well. And now you have this strange mixed crowd. Now, let's, let's be clear. Levi becomes a disciple of Jesus, but Jesus already has a handful of disciples that are following him around at this point. They are, at least in their own minds, a part of a rabbinic tradition here. We are following the master. We're going to learn his ways. We're going to do things that are found in Torah according to his interpretation. What he says, we will do. Where he goes, we will go. We are going to follow him in every possible way. And Jesus says, all right, guys, we're going to go dine with the people that nobody wants to talk to. The people who are hated in our society. Jesus shows up. And there's a crowd that's not particularly happy about this. The Pharisees. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, they ask. Jesus, do you have an explanation for your behavior here? We want you to explain to us why it is that you're spending time with the wrong sort. You know, we've had some questions about you from the very beginning, but at least you were mostly just seeming to be teaching Torah. You were a little unorthodox in the way you did it, and sometimes you did things on the Sabbath that we were a little concerned about. But you know what? We're really not so sure about the company you're keeping. Don't you know this isn't how things are done? Why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus responds, says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This was not a part of my sermon until yesterday, but we were sitting there and we were listening to uh, uh, the individual who was speaking Bolsinger, uh, who had wrote the book uh, Canoeing the Mountains, and he was talking about uh, a time where a couple in his church had come to him and said, you know, we're really concerned about, uh, or we want to be a part of the church, but we, we know that you guys aren't a part of this denomination over here, and if you would just become a part of this denomination over here, we'd feel really comfortable being a part of this church. And these were people that he really wanted to have around because they were invested, they were involved, things were going really well. And Todd told them, You're not our mission. We're not here for strong Christians. We're here for the lost. Now, if you want to stick around and be a part of saving the lost, we have a a new member class for you. And it occurred to me in some ways, Jesus is telling the tax collectors, or telling the, the Pharisees, almost exactly this look, You think that my job should be coming and and sitting at your tables because you guys are the right sort, but that's not what my mission is. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to seek and save the lost. Why am I eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? Because they need me. How are they ever going to know the good news of the kingdom of heaven that I'm preaching if I don't go to them? This is not the last time that Jesus appears around a table. If you look, you can see this is Luke chapter 5. What we end up having, again, multiple times over the course of the Gospel of Luke is Jesus appearing at the tables of other individuals. And it's interesting because he's basically admitted, look, I am here to interact with the people who are lost. So who do you think his next table visit is with? Well, I would immediately say he's got to be meeting with those sinners and tax collectors again, but what we end up seeing is this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. All right, now stop and think about this for a second. Jesus has just said, the reason that I'm eating at their table is because they're sinners and tax collectors, and they need me. They're the ones I came to save. It's not the sick, or not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick. And the next table he shows up at is the table of a Pharisee. What does this say about the Pharisee? Because here, here just a moment ago, we have the Pharisees saying, look, why are you eating with the sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus said, I'm only eating with the people who need me. To the Pharisees. And the next person he's eating at a table with is a Pharisee. I'm hoping you're drawing a connection here. The Pharisee is a sinner as well. He's just maybe a little better at hiding it. goes on to say, And behold, a woman in the city, or a woman of the city, who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And we know what happened. She cries tears onto Jesus' feet. She, she washes his feet with his hair, or her hair. Uh, she, she goes about anointing him. This whole beautiful scene that most of us know and we read and we're just absolutely overcome with the emotion of, look at the love this person had for Jesus, right? And Jesus tells The Pharisee who rebukes her, look, I've been a guest in your home. You haven't even offered to wash my feet. That was like the the bare minimum you did for a guest in your home was to make sure that their feet were washed if they were going to recline at your table. That was what was expected. May, now, maybe you might, might not wash their feet personally, but you would call one of your servants in, and they'd wash the feet. That was part of like the whole dining routine, was I'm going to sit at your table now. Your servant's going to come and stick my feet in a bowl. He's going to wash my feet, and now I can actually be comfortable enough to recline with you because we don't smell one another's feet two inches from our face, right? And he tells the man, you haven't, you haven't even offered me the basic treatment of hospitality. But this woman has not stopped washing my feet with her tears since I walked through this door. One of the sins of the cities in the Old Testament, if you go back to the book of Genesis, and it's drawn in stark comparison to the the righteousness of Abraham, You have this moment where three men or angels appear to Abraham. And Abraham goes crazy. He's like, oh my goodness, this is the Lord. Sarah, start making some cakes. Hey, you head servant, go grab the fatted calf. Bring it in. We're going to have a barbecue. This is, this is important. Uh, he tells the men, come and you know, recline by the tree. Stay in the shade here. I'm going to give you some water. And then you can continue on your journey. But he goes above and beyond just the rest at my tent. Let me feed you. Let me make sure you're well rested. I am going to throw a feast for you. This is Levi. Okay? If if we're looking at two examples here, you got Levi who throws a great banquet for the Lord who has arrived in his house. You have Abraham who throws a great banquet for the man who has just arrived, who, who has his two companions that he clearly recognizes as the Lord. And he feeds him and he celebrates his presence. And he spends time with him, and he reclines under the cool of the tree. Those same men then go down into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we all know, I'm assuming, actually I shouldn't assume, they go down into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. They do not receive hospitality from the people of the city. Now, Lot offers them hospitality. Lot offers them to come into his home, and he does a subset Of the things that Abraham offers to these individuals. But the city, the city decides that they want to rape these men. They decide that foreigners, strangers, those who have come in from outside, aren't deserving of hospitality, but of abuse. The first table, that those men show up at is overwhelming hospitality, kindness, love, adoration. The second table, largely a table of abuse, of distrust. And I'm not saying for sure that Luke has those stories in mind as he's writing this, but what I think he wants us to see here is the lack of hospitality on the second part. In fact, when Jesus appears at another table later on, another table of the Pharisees, uh, which I did not put up here. Um, It's in chapter 14, by the way. Jesus appears at another table of the Pharisees, and what ends up happening is they watch him the whole time, trying to catch him. They put a test before him. The table of the Pharisees is a table that is looking to trip him up to abuse him in some way, to tear him down, to find a flaw in who Jesus is. And you have these bookmarked stories of the Pharisees on either end with Jesus appearing in the home of a tax collector. I already gave away the spoils with the Zacchaeus story up there. I realize it. But in this particular story, we have not just the, the, tax, or the Pharisee who is neglecting his duty as a host, who is still himself a sinner that Jesus has shown up for the salvation of. But you have a sinner in the midst of the story who shows hospitality in a way that the sinner, or that the Pharisee, see now I'm going to get them mixed up, the way that the Pharisee himself doesn't. And Jesus praises this sinner, this sinful woman. Interestingly, And mention that there's two possible understandings, this euphemism of sinner, what it might mean when applied to individuals in Jewish society in the first century. The first possibility, just a lapsed Jew, someone who no longer practices the faith of the father Abraham, right? The second possibility, specifically when applied to a woman, is that she's a prostitute. A sinful woman is one not just who has given up on the practices of the Jewish religion, but might actually be a woman who is involved in prostitution. Do you think she knows where her status in society is? Do you think it would be helpful for people to remind her that she's sinful? I think this woman knows pretty well, right? And and the Pharisee actually kind of calls this out, like, if you knew who this woman was, if you knew about her, do you think Jesus didn't know who this woman was? This is the same Jesus that meets a woman at a well in Samaria and immediately knows her whole story. This is a, a, a a Jesus who has encountered people and told them things about themselves that just blow their mind. I saw you sitting under that tree. Before you ever came to me, I knew who you were. Jesus uses proper names all the time with people that he's like meeting for the first time. Do you think Jesus knew who this woman was? Do you think she knew who she was? Do you think she felt like this was the most comfortable place for her to be in the world? That, you know, I think I belong at the feet of Jesus, pouring my tears out onto him in the midst of all of these Pharisees who know the law and as far as I can tell are keeping it in ways I have never done so myself. It's super easy for me to just barge my way into this situation and anoint Jesus. Do you, do you think this was a simple situation for her? Sometimes I think we read the story and we rip all of the humanity out of it. She wasn't invited into this house. The, the phrase that she was behind Jesus in this particular account is really interesting to me. That she, she's behind Jesus, almost as though like, she had to come in on his heels. Maybe she's hiding. I don't don't know what's going on here. It's a really unique story, and I've read it a thousand times, and it never really occurred to me how difficult it must have been for this woman to put herself in the position to be there at a table she wasn't invited to, to anoint Jesus in a way that no one else was going to do so, to humble herself at his feet in the home of someone she wasn't invited into. Sometimes, when I'm reading these stories, it it occurs to me I've never really read them before. I've heard them. I've glossed over the words. But I haven't really read them. Because the people that are in these stories lived these lives. And while we get focused a lot on the anointing of Jesus' feet... I don't think we spend a whole lot of time thinking about the difficult position this woman has put herself in. The scandal she's opened herself up to, to showing up at a table uninvited. Jesus was the guest. But you know what he brought with him? A woman who didn't belong. A sinner. As I mentioned a moment ago, the next story, chapter 14, Jesus shows up at another table of a Pharisee, and they spend the entire time looking again at the flaws that Jesus might have. How can we trip him up? How is it possible that we might cause him to stumble in some way? Not a particularly great way to spend an evening. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a dinner meeting with somebody, and it felt more like an interrogation than it did like you know company being spent together. Uh, the only time I can recall that was when I asked Lorenda's parents if I could marry her, um, and I felt a little bit interrogated. It was it was a little intimidating. I imagine for Jesus, it was even just a little bit more frustrating than intimidating. He's not particularly intimidated when people ask him questions about Scripture, right? Jesus can kind of handle himself on, on the theological discussion front. But why do you invite someone around your table to... Im- embarrass them, to humiliate them. I want to encourage us as we move towards this last table, uh, well, not the last table, there's actually two more we're going to talk about today, this next table, to think about the way in which this next individual receives Jesus, as I gave away earlier. This is Zacchaeus. Jesus is Going through a town, the town of Jericho, there's a a man who's not particularly tall, and for one reason or another, Luke wants to pick on him a little bit and remind us that he's not particularly tall. And so he's climbed up into a tree to be able to see Jesus, and Jesus sees him up in the tree, and he's, Zacchaeus, I am coming to your home. He tells him to hurry down, right? Hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, in Levi's case, Levi invites him into his home. Here, Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home, right? This is another one of those instances where what, how in the world does Jesus know this man's name? He's Jesus, right? Zacchaeus, and now he's startled. Oh my goodness, Jesus knows my name. I thought I was just gonna catch a glimpse of him, and now he's calling me by name. What is it that he wants? I'm coming to your house. I'm gonna stay there oh, good grief, Jesus, this is kind of an imposition. I haven't swept for a couple days, and uh, there's none of that, right? Immediately, he comes down. He takes Jesus to his home. They have this whole conversation, and there's a moment where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, salvation has come to this house today, right? That's great, fantastic. When Jesus invites himself into this man's house, salvation comes along too. But I want you to hear the words of Zacchaeus to Jesus. Behold, Lord. The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus, the sinful tax collector, the man who is on the outskirts of society who couldn't even get to the front of the line because he he couldn't see over the line and people don't like him well enough to make room for him, had to climb up a tree. Jesus invites himself into his home, and the man's entire life is transformed in an instant because of the invitation Jesus gave to himself. The tax collector who invites Jesus into his home and holds a great feast and the tax collector who has a personal invitation from Jesus to be his host are great examples for us of what the mission of Jesus was. To seek and save the lost. Invitation accepted and invitation offered, or demanded, I don't know. Jesus can demand if he wants, he's the Lord, right? But the response of the individuals to Jesus is more significant than who they were. I want you to hear that again. The response of the individuals to Jesus was more significant than who they were. Because those middle two invitations to come and dine around the table were not a positive response to Jesus. They, were, they looked awfully nice. Hey, come eat at my house. We'll have a little conversation. We'll spend some time together. I'm not going to wash your feet or show you basic hospitality. You know what? I am going to spend the entire meal attempting to trip you up and make you look bad in front of everybody come to my house. Eat with me. What is the point of all of this? Why does Luke seem to care about placing Jesus at people's tables? I think it's because we as Christians need to know who Jesus dined with and maybe do the same. When is the last time you ate at the table of a sinner or tax collector? Now, you know, again, spoiler alert, we're all sinners. The Pharisees here, I think, are sinners. Jesus shows up at their table because they need him just as much as the sinful woman, as Levi, as Achias, as anybody else. But when is the last time you accepted an invitation to someone's table? When is the last time you invited yourself over? Maybe don't do that. In our society, that's particularly rude. And you are not Jesus. You're not the Lord. You can't just demand to go into someone's home. When is the last time you invited a sinner to come eat in your home? Would you feel comfortable with them at your table? Would you offer them hospitality? Would you wash their feet? Would you be looking to pick a fight? Find the flaw in their character? Spend some time reminding them that maybe they don't really belong around your table? Do you know who this woman is? Do do you really know that much about her? Would you let her touch your feet? if you knew the truth. There is one last table, the table I almost forgot about and I can't believe it, that appears in the Gospel of Luke. Here at the very end, Luke chapter 22, we have a moment where Jesus goes and appears to his, appears to his disciples. He's been with them. It's not like he popped out of nowhere, but he appeared to them. He says to them, go and prepare the Passover feast for us. He gives them instructions. Go and prepare the Passover feast for us that we may eat it. This is verse uh, 7, or verse 8 rather, of chapter 22. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell, him the, master, uh, tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples, and he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. Interestingly, this is a little side note, and I'm going to try not to get too far off topic, that word guest room, that's the inn that we read about in the beginning of Luke's gospel, the place where there was no room for Jesus when he came into the world. There's a place for me in that guest room, that inn the place where the the visitor gets to stay. We're going to prepare a table there. We're going to eat together. And if you read the rest of the story, what you end up finding out is, of course, Jesus and his disciples appear in that upper room together. They eat together. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples around that table. He tells them, I have greatly desired to share this table with you. You know who's sitting around that table in that group of individuals that are are dining with him? We know for sure there's at least one tax collector. Matthew records about himself having been there as a first-hand witness. We know that there are people who are zealots, who who are individuals that, that were maybe trying to foment rebellion against the Roman Empire before Jesus got involved in their lives. Simon the Zealot... We know that there are some fishermen, some guys that had no formal training in ministry whatsoever until this crazy 30-year-old Jewish rabbi called them to follow him. We know that there are individuals in there who don't particularly like one another very well because they're on opposite sides of the spectrum in Jewish society. Now maybe maybe that's reformed a little bit over the course of 3 years. But people are people, right? We can hold grudges. Even the disciples, even the apostles, could get angry with one another sometimes. We know for a fact that sitting at that same table is a man who plans to deny Jesus and give him up to the Roman authorities, to sell him, actually to the Jewish authorities, and eventually the Jewish authorities will give him over to the Romans, We know that there's a man there who within the next few hours will deny Jesus three times. And yet Jesus has greatly longed to eat this meal with them. With them. Usually, I don't put on my guest list the people that are planning to betray me if I put them on my guest list, it wouldn't be because I was looking forward to eating with them. But Jesus does. There's a whole lot of conversation about whether or not we should highlight the fact that, G- that Jesus allows Judas to eat the meal there, or if it's all because of a convenient situation where he can, you know, point out what's going to happen and show that he's the Lord because he recognizes what's in Judas's heart. To me, it doesn't really matter. Judas is there, and Jesus has longed to eat this meal even with him even with Peter, even with Levi, even with John. Every one of these people has an invitation to the table. And Jesus doesn't spend his entire time there at the table picking these individuals apart and laying bare the, the failures that they'll have. He points out that one of them is going to betray him. One of them is going to deny him three times But nevertheless, he's happy to have them at his table. Warts and all. And I want to encourage you this morning you know, every one of us is going to be invited to that table this morning. When we participate in communion, we are participating in the table that Jesus has laid before these individuals. Take this bread, it is my body. Take this cup, it is my blood. And here, in this moment, when we take communion together, we as sinners and tax collectors and those on the outside and those that maybe society would like to pick apart are invited to the table of Jesus. Now, I want to be clear, Jesus' hope is that everyone that encounters him will turn away from sin. Jesus' hope is to reform the tax collectors Levi and Zacchaeus don't stay the same people they were before they met Jesus. But it begins at the table that they're transformed. And sometimes we don't want people come into our table until they get themselves cleaned up. We we will withhold relationship from them. Just so long as you eventually get your act together, then I'll invite you into my home, and you can become a part of my family, and we can spend time talking with one another and enjoying each other's company, and maybe we'll you know, get into this, this wonderful mission that God has given to us, but only after you've cleaned yourself up, and I don't have to deal with the messiness of being associated with someone that our society and maybe even our own church don't particularly think is in the right. Right? You get yourself cleaned up, and then we'll eat dinner together. But That's not how Jesus did it. Zacchaeus didn't stop being a tax collector before Jesus agreed to go stay in his home. Levi didn't stop being a tax collector before he offered Jesus a great banquet. The sinful woman was still described as a sinful woman when she washed Jesus' feet. Are we prepared to seek and save the lost? Or are we going to be a bunch of Pharisees joining at a table together and saying, look how good we are. We all belong here. Isn't it wonderful that not one of us has a fly in the ointment that we can poke at each other about? Our mission is to be like Jesus. Jesus. If we want to be shaped like Jesus, we've got to do some more eating with sinners and tax collectors. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we we are sinful people. Before we encountered Jesus, there was a laundry list of things that we we could say were counted against us. Things that had condemned us to death, wages that we had earned that that we could not pay ourselves. And in that state, Jesus chose to set a table for us, to invite us to it. And we recognize that even after encountering Jesus, even after participating in his death, burial, and resurrection, there is a part of us that struggles so deeply not to slide back into being the sinful people we we were. And yet each week, you invite us to the table again, to participate in the body and blood of Christ, to recommit ourselves, to be rejuvenated, to be raised again. And Father, this morning I pray that we invite others to that table, that we dine with sinners and tax collectors so that they might be found, so that they might know the table that has been prepared for them so that they might participate in the wonderful banquet that you have given to us. Help us to seek and save the lost. Help us to remember that while we love each other as a family, we are not each other's mission. The mission is to seek and save the lost. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning if you have need of the church if you think maybe you are a sinner you're in good company we want to invite you to join us at Jesus's table we want to invite you to join us at the table that he's prepared for you and it begins by participating in his death burial and resurrection so that you might be something other than the sinner that you encounter him as he wants to change you in radical ways He wants you to become a new creation, something different than you were before you encountered him. He's not asking you to become that before you come to him, because he can't. It is only by his power that you can be transformed. It is only by his power that you can give up the old person of sin and death and take on the new person of life. And so this morning, if that's where you're at and you want to participate in the table of Christ, we want to encourage you to seek him in baptism this morning. If you are someone who uh, maybe has put on Christ, but you have a lot of trouble separating yourself from the sinful person that you were, we want to walk alongside you in that. We want to pray for you and support you in your search to be more like Christ, to live into the shape he's offered you. If maybe you need to do some repenting this morning, because you have treated sinners as peripheral to the the mission of the church and you want to commit yourself to inviting them to the table, I'd be happy to visit with you, to pray with you, to go before God with you and ask for forgiveness for that because I've done it myself. This morning, if you have any need of the church, I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. Our elders are here and they'd be happy to pray with you. I have some ladies who would be happy to pray with you as well. Whatever your need might be, uh, you can join me at the back of the auditorium as we stand and sing.